Last week I started talking to you about passion, spiritual passion. And we looked at a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 12, verse 11, where the apostle Paul said, never be lacking in zeal. Now that's the passage or that's the statement that I preached from last week and the title of last week's message was Feel the Zeal. Because that word lacking there means to be slow or slothful or lazy. And then we talked about the word zeal. That zeal means energy, enthusiasm, intensity. As it relates to the work of the Lord and the business of the kingdom of God. But then after saying, never be lacking in zeal, he then makes this statement. He says, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And so today, I want to just take the second part or statement in that passage of Scripture and talk to you about keeping your spiritual fervor. And notice what he said now. He said, keep your spiritual fervor. Now, if he's telling us, and really what he's doing is warning us here. If he's warning us to keep it, then that means we can lose it if we're not careful. That, that means that it can be taken away from us if we're not careful. And so it is our responsibility. Listen, it's not my responsibility to keep your spiritual fervor. I love you. And I love being your pastor. I really do. But I can't keep your spiritual fervor. I can do my part to encourage you and to try and inspire you with the Word of God and the life that I live. But only you and only I can keep my spiritual fervor. And really what he's talking about here is keeping a fire burning. Don't let the fire go out. And we know that in order to keep a fire going, you've got to keep putting wood on the fire. And you've got to keep stoking the fire. And you've got to keep fueling the fire. And so he says, keep. Be intentional about it because it's not going to happen accidentally. He says, keep your spiritual fervor. And I love that word fervor. Here's what it means. It means to be hot, to boil, or to glow. Let me ask you this. What is it that does that to your spirit? What is it that causes you to, to be hot? What is it that causes you to boil? What is it that causes you to glow in your spirit? Is it injustice when you see children or when you see someone being mistreated or their needs not being met? Does, is that what gets your fire going? Is that what causes you to boil with passion? Now we know that there are some others perhaps that their passion boils over sports or hobbies or money or their career. But we're talking about something a little bit more serious than that today. We're talking about spiritual fervor. Now, I think probably most everybody in here has at some point in time boiled water. And if you're going to boil water, what do you have to do? You have to put water over a source of heat. And when you first put that water over the heat, it doesn't do much of anything. But as it gets warmer and as it gets hotter, what does it do? It begins to move. So when he talks about fervor, he's talking about movement. Let me, let me tell you something, people of God, this morning. God has not called us to be complacent. Now, one thing that I will not allow you to do as your pastor, I will not allow you to remain in complacency. I'm going to do my best to encourage you to come out of your complacency. Amen. 
because complacency doesn't please God. And nobody has ever done anything great in life being complacent. I heard one preacher one time define complacency like this, living life as if we're trying not to offend the devil. Hey, I'm not living my life trying to not offend the devil. I'm living my life to offend the devil. Amen? Amen? Complacency is when we live as if we're trying to not offend the devil. We're not trying to offend our enemy, our opposition, our adversary. But notice when, when water is boiling, there's movement. But not only is there movement, there's heat. Sooner or later, that water is going to be hot and it's going to boil. And then not only that, boiling water is purified water. It's clean water. So when he talks about fervency, he's talking about movement. He's talking about heat. He, he's talking about purity. Now listen to what he tells us in Matthew chapter 22 as it relates to our passion. He said this to a young teacher of the law who came to him saying, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Notice, he does not want us loving him half-heartedly. He does not want us serving him half-heartedly. But we are instructed that we are to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then he tells us this is the first meaning that it should be the most important thing in our life that we are passionate about, that this is the first and the greatest, which means that it will have the biggest impact through our lives on this world. When we love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and another writer took it this far and said even all of our strength. But if we're not careful, we can lose this kind of fervency. If we're not careful, we can lose this kind of passion for God. It happened to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when he said this, Jesus speaking to this church. He said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. But he said, I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot I will vomit you out of my mouth now when you read God speaking to the other churches God had some things against the other churches God even became angry towards the other churches but the church at Laodicea who was neither hot nor cold but lukewarm didn't get God mad it got God sick so you do understand that lukewarmness makes God sick to the point that he wants to vomit us out of his mouth. And that's why he said, I would rather you be hot, full of spiritual passion and fervency, or cold, that is to not have a relationship with me at all, than to be lukewarm, that is pretending and acting like you have a relationship with me but yet your heart is far from me. Amen. So if we're not careful, we can lose our spiritual passion. And so what I want to do for just these next few minutes that we're together this morning is I want to point out some things that if we're not careful can kill our spiritual fervor, can kill our passion, 
and show us the reason why we need to be intentional about keeping our spiritual passion. The first of the passion killers is this, and that is an unbalanced schedule. Now, now, now you do know that God has created the human body with the need to take in, but also the need to give out. For instance, we breathe in oxygen, but we breathe out carbon dioxide. We breathe in life, we breathe out death. We breathe in health, we breathe out poison. So we need that balance of breathing in and breathing out. Not only that, we have a digestive system. Don't mean to sound gross this morning, but as we take in food, our body keeps the energy it needs and then it digests and gets rid of the waste that we don't need. Now, you talk to anybody who's ever had a blockage in their digestive system, and they'll tell you how painful that can be and that if you don't do something about it, your life will, you, you, you'll die. You'll be destroyed from it. So that's why it's important that we take in and we give out. Now, here's the problem. There's too many people in the body of Christ today that give and give and give and give, but they never take in. They serve and they serve and they serve and they work and they work and they work, whether it's in the kingdom or whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whatever it is. You're taking or you're given and given and given, but you're not taking the time to take in. Now, what do you think would happen? And you know what would happen. Some of you have experienced this. That if you keep driving your vehicle and you never stop to put gas in your vehicle, what's going to happen? It's going to run out of gas. And guess what? When it runs out of gas, it's not going to be able to do what it was designed to do. It's not going to be able to do what the purpose of that automobile was to do. It's not going to be able to transport you from where you are to where you want to go. Because vehicles can't run on empty. Listen to me. You cannot run on empty. And if you keep giving and giving and giving and working and working and working and serving and serving and serving, but you're not taking in, sooner or later you're going to burn out. Sooner or later you're going to be running on empty. But not only are there those who give and give and give without taking, let's, 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 let's just be honest, there's others who take and take and take and take, but they never give. Yeah, they're always going to conferences, always going to revivals, always going to church, always reading, always listening to podcasts, always taking in, but never giving out. Listen, there is a balance that we need in our lives. The Bible talks about it. God speaks in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and he said, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it Holy. In other words, it's different than the other six days. It belongs to God. And he said, as the Lord your God has commanded you, he said, you have six days. Now, I know this doesn't sound like balance because he's saying work six days, rest one day. So God knows how important work is. Now, I want everybody in this room to hear what I'm about to say right now. Nowhere in the Bible does God say don't work. That's not what I'm saying. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, he said, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's just that simple. 
And we're not to be lazy. We're not to be slothful. We are to work. But notice, he said you work six days because he understands that we do get fulfillment and satisfaction out of our work, that our work is important, that our work does provide and meet for our needs. But he said you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household, listen to me, no one in your household may do any work because what was happening was the masters would rest on the Sabbath, but they would send their servants out to do the work for them. And God said, nope, you don't get your servants to do the work for you. You don't get the spouse to do the work for you. You don't get the kids to do the work for you. Nobody works on the day of rest. Nobody works on the Sabbath. That's why the psalmist said this in Psalm 127 and 2. He said, it is useless. Everybody say useless. It is useless to work so hard from early morning until late at night anxiously working for food to eat for God gives rest rest to his loved ones so you need a balance Summerton Church of God you need a balance between work and rest you need a balance between serving and rest and if you ever get that out of balance you're going to lose your fervor you're going to get what I call compassion fatigue you're going to get to the place and I've been there where you don't want to be around people you don't care about people's needs you don't love people enough to meet their needs and that's why we've got to have this balance of taking in and and given out, given out, and taken in. Amen? An unbalanced life or an unbalanced schedule. Here's another killer of passion, an unused gift or talent. Did you know that God has given every one of us in this room here today gifts and talents? And what are we supposed to do with those gifts and talents? Make a lot of money? Lay our claim to fame? Now listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, For God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. And then he tells us what to do with those gifts and talents. Use them well to serve one another. God has given me gifts and talents and abilities. Not just for my benefit, but to bless you. God has given you gifts, talents, and abilities, not just for your benefit, but to bless me. And he wants us to use those gifts, talents, and abilities for his glory. Now, here's the problem. You got 70% of Americans, a recent survey revealed, 70% of Americans who hate their jobs, and the reason why they hate their jobs is because they feel like they are stuck in a job that doesn't allow them to use their gifts, their talents, and their abilities. Now let's just say that you're on a job and on your job you're only able to use 30% of your gifts and your talents. That leaves what I call a 70% boredom factor. Now, now, I don't know about you. I have to make myself rest because I love what I do. And I would do what I do 24-7 if I could possibly do it. If I could live without rest, if I could live without sleep, I would never rest. I would never sleep because I love what I do. But I understand not everybody loves what they do. 
Not everybody is passionate about what they do. And the reason why is because there's such a boredom factor. There's gifts, talents, and abilities that you're not being able to use in your workplace. And so because of that, you hate your job. You have no passion about your job. Young people, listen to me this morning. If I can give you an advice, some advice as a 55-year-old man here this morning, I would say this. Don't take a job just because it pays good money. Now, this is your pastor. This is not your mom and daddy talking to you today. They may tell you differently. Because they need somebody to take care of them when they're old. But I'm telling you, life is too short to work a job that you're not passionate about. Life is too short for you to work a job just so you can put food on the table. You, you need a job that utilizes your gifts, your talents, your abilities, something that you are passionate about. And if you're passionate about it, it will provide for your needs. I believe that. And, and I'm going to say something right here that may blow, blow some of you away. And that is that if you're in a job that you hate, if you're in a job that you're not passionate about, quit. Oh, pastor, that's easy for you to say. It is easy for me to say. And let me tell you why. We live in America. You don't have to work a job that you hate. You don't have to work a job that you're not passionate about. Now, I'm not saying leave here and call your boss today and tell him you're quitting. That's not what I'm saying. You can transition yourself out. Life is too short to be miserable. Somebody help me preach this morning. I feel like I'm up here all by myself. Life is too short for you to do something that you're not passionate about. But let me say this. You will never be 100% fulfilled or satisfied on your job. Why? Because God doesn't want you to find complete fulfillment in your job. He wants you to know that those gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given to you will never be fully utilized on your job. That's why you need a ministry. Amen? So that you can take the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given you that's not being utilized at your job, and you can put that energy and that enthusiasm and that intensity into a ministry, and that's where you're going to get fulfilled. That's where you're going to find divine satisfaction for your soul. Amen? Because notice he said this. He said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Listen to what he says. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies with passion, with fervor, with intensity. He said, then everything that you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. So whatever we do with our gifts, talents, and abilities, let's do it with all of our heart. Let's do it with all of our strength. Let's do it with all of our energy that God may be glorified. An unused gift. Here's a third killer of passion, an unconfessed sin. Nothing destroys passion in your life more than the guilt that comes with hidden sin. If you don't believe it, you study the life of David. David was a man after God's own heart. He even said things like, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you. He's the one who, who said, my, my zeal for the Lord consumes me. 
He had that kind of passion for the Lord, but we all know that David had a moral failure. And during that period of time when he was trying to hide and to cover up his sin, when he was trying to deal with the guilt in his life, he described it like this. He said, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. He said, I am bent over and I am racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. He said, I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. That sounds like a different man. He's lost his passion for God. He's lost his passion for the presence of God. Because see, when you're covering up sin, you don't want to get into the presence of God. You're trying to avoid the presence of God because you know what God is going to do when you get into his presence. He's going to talk to you about that sin in your life. But here's what David prayed. David prayed this in Psalm 51. He said, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation, the fervency of your salvation, the passion of your salvation, the energy of your salvation, the enthusiasm of your salvation. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 and 9 that if we will confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to live with that guilt. You don't have to hide your sin. Today you can come clean and God will restore your passion for him. But there's another thing. Unresolved conflict is a killer of passion. Have you ever gotten up in the morning thinking, man, I feel good today. What a beautiful day. Got a song in your heart? Zippity doo da. Zippity a my oh my. What a wonderful day. And then just before you walk out the door to go to the office, all of a sudden, boom, the wife says something or the husband says something, and conflict gets stirred up. And the zip goes right out of your doodah. <laughs> because unresolved conflict affects our passion. And it's because of the emotions that unresolved conflict produces in our life. That's why Paul said this in Ephesians 4. He said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And what he's saying here is not necessarily don't go to bed angry. He's saying deal with it and deal with it quickly. Anger. Don't give it time to turn into bitterness. Don't give it time to turn into resentment. Because he said, when you are full of resentment and bitterness, it causes you to treat that person in your life that you're supposed to love. It causes you to treat them harshly. And so he says, you got to deal with this quickly before the sun goes down. He said, for anger does what? It gives foothold to the devil. It opens the door to the enemy. So he said this in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, get rid of harsh words, get rid of slander as well as all types of evil behavior and instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The antidote, the solution, the answer to bitterness and anger and resentment in your life is forgiveness. You got to learn to forgive. 
Listen to what James said in James 1, 19 and 20. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And then he says this, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Only godly anger. It's okay to have godly anger. It's okay to have godly passion against sin and the wickedness of sin and the pain of sin. But it's not okay to be mad from a human point of view because he said only godly anger produces godly righteousness but human anger does not produce godly righteousness so we got to deal with this because it will steal our passion and our fervency if we don't not just in our relationship with God but in our relationship with our spouse it'll even happen on your job if there's lots of conflict on your job you'll get to where you hate going to work no passion for your job whatsoever. We gotta go on to the next thing. Number five, an unsupported lifestyle. If I'm going to keep my spiritual fervor and passion, it's important who I hang out with. It's important who I spend time with. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If you want to be sharp, hang out with sharp people. If you want to be a person of passion, hang out with people of passion. Read about people of passion. That's what I'm going to talk about next Sunday. I'm going to talk about people of passion. But it's so important who you hang out with. You want to hang out with somebody. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's what we ought to be doing as brothers and sisters. We should be sitting around thinking of ways that we can motivate one another, encourage one another, build one another's energy, build one another's enthusiasm. I don't want to hang out with somebody who throws water on my fire. I want to hang out with somebody who's going to throw fuel on my fire. And, and so he goes on and he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Who we hang out with is important if we want to be people of passion. Number six, an unclear purpose. If you don't know what your purpose in life is, chances are you're struggling with passion. God has created and shaped and designed every one of us for a purpose. He has a purpose for us. I would hate to be like Jeremiah in Isaiah, listen to what it says. He said, listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. He said that the Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. Now, do you know he didn't just do that for Isaiah or Jeremiah? He did that for every one of us, that when we were in our mother's womb, God called us. Even before we were in our mother's womb, God had a plan and a purpose for our lives. But then notice what he says. He said, he made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I'm like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, and you will bring me glory. But listen to what his response was. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. That's sad. How would you like to come down to the end of your life and on your deathbed say, I spent my whole life and used up all of my strength 
for nothing, for no purpose. We need to know what our purpose is. We need to know that God has a purpose for us because purpose produces passion. I know what my purpose is. My purpose, I found in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, 17 and 18, where the Lord, when I was reading this, when I was a young minister, spoke this to me. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And can I tell you, that purpose gets me out of bed every morning. And that purpose keeps me from being able to sleep sometimes at night because I'm consumed with that purpose that God has for my life, that I want to turn every person I can who is in darkness, I want to bring them into light. And every person who is under the power of Satan, I want to get them free from the power of Satan, and I want to bring them into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of His Son. Know what your purpose is. Purpose produces passion, but with no purpose, there is no passion. And then finally, and this is probably the most important thing of everything I'll share with you this morning, an under nourished spirit an undernourished spirit Jesus said this in John chapter 15 here's what Jesus said Jesus said remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me now notice that you cannot be unless you remain in him and then he goes on and he says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen to me. The moment that you get disconnected from him is the moment that your passion begins to wane and wither and die. You must Remain. You must connect to the source of life, to the source of fervency, to the source of passion. You must connect to Him and you must remain in Him. How do we do that? You know, pray. Pray. Hide yourself in the Word of God. Feed yourself God's Word. Take the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God's given you. Use them to serve others for the glory of God. That, that's how you remain in Him, and He remains in you. And only as you stay connected to Him, only as you remain in Him, will that source of life and fervency and passion continue to flow into your life. That's why Paul said this. He said, you have got to spend your time and your energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is so much more important because he said, even though bodily exercise may help you feel better in the here and now, spiritual exercise, it's going to help you here, and it's also going to help you in eternity, in the world to come. And so he said, we have got to constantly exercise ourselves spiritually. If we want to keep the fire burning, the passion burning, the fervency hot in our spirit. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to have you as our guest here at Summit and Church of God. The Lord has given us a vision to transform our community. And we're going to do that by eliminating the darkness through being light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be who Jesus says we are. We worship together every Sunday at 1045, and we would love to have you and your family as our guest.